Welcome to Vancouver True Crime. I'm back with Seb, who's, we're doing a part two, and as you know from the first uh, interview with him and the other posts I've done, if you've been following me, he's a very accomplished person. He has a 20-year background in law enforcement with very elite units within the RCMP. Plus, he just has so many things on the go. Uh, he's really an amazing person. He brings a lot of expertise to the table. And we're going to have a more of a deeper dive uh, into domestic violence. The first interview that we did together, we were, and the more you can understand about this subject, it's a complex subject for people experiencing it or someone, maybe it's a family or a loved one, and maybe you just want to have more understanding so you can be a support person for what they're going through. So, Deb, thank you so much for coming back doing a part two doing a more of a deeper analysis in this unfortunate subject and for many people i talk to it's on the rise maybe post-pandemic world everyone's more stressed out you know maybe there we can discuss even why it's on the rise mm-hmm. but thank you again for coming back yeah absolutely thanks for having me and anything we can discuss in that realm will likely be on the hypo- hypothesis level as far as a, a lot of complexities sort of involve why this is on the rise and what seemingly escalated at least on the western front just in general before we talk about domestic violence i just find you know again you run a platform maybe you don't see it as much as me maybe because of your background you don't get the trolls like i do but in general though i just find people are just more just like you know they go from zero to 60 a lot quicker you know since i post you know uh road rage situations or just people just lose it this snap first seemed like a minor traffic offense or this seeing what's going on in stores like people acting out in grocery stores and walmarts and so it just seems like there's something in the air where people are just a little more volatile so imagine when i see these people like when i watch these crazy walmart videos or uh the road rage ones i always think like imagine being in a relationship with that person (laughs) you know what i mean so they're that unhinged in public imagine behind closed doors right so Mm -hmm. yeah people seem a little more quick with the fangs more lately oh for sure yeah things to be looking forward to eh? just being in a relationship with somebody that that gives in to every percolating emotion in that way in a very volatile way i mean it's just yeah it's an interesting dichotomy because we could look at social, economic, and a variety of different factors that are sort of involved in this. But at the end of the day, human beings are making the decision to not control their emotions. Yeah. That is a fact. And and to feed into whatever rage they're a state of rage they're in or whatever the case may be, or not removing themselves from situations, not having, you know, proper arguments. So instead of speaking louder, mm-hmm. they're strengthening their arguments. Like there seem to be less and less of that. There's also a more divisive, I guess, environment where, where if you don't agree with me, you're automatically complete opposite of me and I should yeah. never never associate with anything that you say and vice versa for Instead of, no, no, I'm taking what I can from this person and that person and I, I negate or do not take what I, what I cannot relate to or what I don't agree with. And you don't have to be discarding people left, right and center on account of, you know, we have a bit of a difference of opinion. And, and I think all of those things are compounding. Oh, I totally noticed that. Since, uh, you know, like even if you look at the, on a very high level, you look at the political situation, politics has always been kind of nasty and I've never been good at it. I've worked in very, 
you know, toxic type of uh, political type of environments. I've never won a political exchange in the, in the office. So it's something I've never been really good at. Maybe I'm just blunt and just kind of say things how it is. But I've always observed politics, this even in like, you know, office politics or politics in general. And it's the nastiest I ever seen. And like you said, if you disagree with me, I can burn you at the stake. It seems to be like the consensus. Where before, generally, people can have debates, and maybe the debates got heated. But there was a thing of uh, agree to disagree. You know, mm-hmm. everyone has a different perspective, and they're going to see things through a different lens, right? So, yeah, it's a strange time. And so imagine two people in a household with very different opinions and this kind of prevailing culture. So then it's like, it's, it's like this thing that I see now, too, where people are justified in their actions or not held accountable that's a huge thing oh i do crystal meth and i have a mental illness so therefore i can i'm not held accountable anymore which to me isn't crazy because you know if i get really drunk on a bottle of jack daniels and do something really stupid in public i'm probably gonna get in a lot of trouble <laughs> you know what i mean and then you see someone like downtown east side it's just like windows being smashed and well they have mental health problems they're you know what i mean it's like okay but it's it's not good for our society so i don't mean to digress bringing it back to domestic violence again you know we have our society violence in our very first episode we talked about in public being safe when you're out and about when you're out with your loved ones but now fortunately if you're in a relationship you're most likely where that is going to be the cause of distress maybe domestic violence or something so it's again it seems to be on an increase and so why do you think that domestic violence has gone up like in, in this common time besides? Yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But I think before we look at some of the causality or possible causality, I think we should kind of understand a little bit, uh, a little bit what is domestic violence really. Right. And I mean, there's se- several definitions at the moment. And so one, one of the ones that I use to try to keep it very, very simple is simply exerting control over a person whether it's physical control control of their intellectual control Mm -hmm. of their emotions control of their actions but it's at the end of the day it's insidious to overt ways of controlling a person and it it happens with both genders Mm-hmm. And it also, it also happens with family members in general. Yes. And so there's a few things that I think are key to, to, to kind of talk about. So if we're looking at the more insidious domestic right. violence, mm-hmm. we're looking at emotional abuse, you know, like continuous degradation, humiliation, mm-hmm. you know, like disparaging remark to erode somebody's self-esteem or self or sense of self-worth. You got the gaslighting, which is mm-hmm. like sort of denying or distorting past events. Make the, make the person, make the person, you know, doubt their memory or perception or, or sanity even at times. And then you have the isolation, like systematically cutting off, say a person from their family or from their support system or from their friends. Uh, economic abuse, you know, controlling mm-hmm. or restricting the victim's access to financial resources, to money. And if the person is stuck in a situation where they don't have the money to go somewhere else, they may be stuck there, right? Then we're looking at threats and intimidation using threats of violence or harm or other mm-hmm. negative consequences in all the other realms that we discussed. And you have the stalking, you have the digital yeah. abuse using social media, using tracker, using monitor to harass. And then you get into the more sort of 
overt domestic violence where you have your physical abuse and that can be anything it could be somebody hitting slapping punching choking physical right. force in any way or even the appearance of such so i'm moving towards the person right. and i'm and i'm using my body my presence to intimidate them that is an assault in itself we're looking at the you know the more a, a very common sexual abuse in relationship as well right. and and i can they refer to it at uh what do they refer to it as now uh Intimate partner uh, violence. Yeah, intimate, so intimate partner yeah, violence. Partner right? abuse. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The use of weapons, conducting yeah. the same assaults, or restraining, or kidnapping, or, oh or prevent. You know, locking the doors and preventing the person from going out, or having to ask for some sort of consent in order for them to go out. And then you have your severe emotional abuse, like intense or aggressive emotional abuse, that's intended to cause significant, you know, psychological harm to the the end user, so to speak. And so we're looking at a like a, a whole gambit, and we haven't even spoken about forced substance abuse. You know, oh where people are being given drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And and so it's that cycle of violence that we spoke we spoke to in the last podcast, which was you know that tension building phase, the mm -hmm. acute crisis phase, and then the honeymoon phase that goes all the way around. Well, those things, those red flags, are going to be generally increasing in in seriousness. Or tracking history seem to indicate generally starts with the more insidious type. And as the relationships strengthen, as the the people are closer or as they're building memories together and such, there is more emotional engagement. There's more emotional involvement. And now you're starting to see physical type abuse percolates within the, within the relationship. And this can be some of the insidious uh, violence. And I think that's important to, to mention is that we didn't discuss this last time, but some of the more insidious type of violence, such as even violence by proxy, such as mm. I'm going to use the kids against you, you know, like if you yeah. do X, Y, and Z, you'll never see the kids again. That is not um, something that's specific to women. Like men no. are victim of that, the more insidious types mm -hmm. as well. And so... I definitely believe that it was absolutely critical that we, we kind of get back onto a secondary episode where we could really discuss and what can be done once, once we find ourselves in that situation. Very complex. And like you said, it can be very subtle. And, and again, subtle over years can be pretty like debilitating. And plus, like, again, it's that conditioning too. these domestic violence. It is like a cult a scenario where a man marries a woman, the man's abusive. And then the woman is from, let's say, on the other side of the country. So he talks her into moving across the country. And then he now she's not just dealing with this one abusive person. She's dealing with this whole abusive family that just, oh, no, he's awesome. It's all you, right? And that could be very like, overwhelming because it's not, it's, it's like you against a large number, right? So what you're referring to here is essentially the image that the person, that the per perpetrator wants to show the world, right? And, mm -hmm. and rarely or very seldom do they show their true colors because they're actually knowing that what they're doing isn't right. Mm -hmm. And they're actually knowing that people wouldn't stand behind what they're doing. But what they do is in, in the same insidious ways, they keep everybody on board with their jovial persona and their, you know, being light, being nice enough and everybody. And it, and that's why very often when things happen or where things escalate, a lot of people around are very surprised of what's occurring because the person has done a fantastic job of putting up a front that 
definitely doesn't yield anybody to think that they might be engaged in something like that. And if the person that's on the end is on the end of that and doesn't say, doesn't say anything or doesn't necessarily mm, communicate what's going on within the context of the relationship, you could be looking at, at, at a situation where you have no idea and failing to recognize the signs, failing to uh, dig deeper into you know the person's lives when once you have a chance to have a, a conversation with a person and really find out how life is at home if you if you fail to recognize any of those signs or if you fail to have the right conversations you may not you may never know until it's it's much later in the relationship and often too late if you don't conform to a certain behavior or action there's going to be either a, a mild or a harsh consequence right and and that that can condition a person over time Absolutely, it can. And I mean, that's the most, that's very dangerous stuff right there. Cause that's the more insidious it is, the more it sneaks up on you. And next thing you know, before there is a realization of what's actually going on, you may find yourself way deeper than you ever portrayed yourself to, you know, to have been capable of finding yourself in a predicament that definitely you never saw coming. And as a result, as a result of that, you're actually stuck or or you have the feeling the perception that you are stuck unsurmountable predicament wanted to scare somebody off really quickly in the beginning of a relationship <laughs> they would simply be themselves and be yeah. overt with their it wouldn't have the same leverage to exert that type of control because the the relationship wouldn't have been developed over time and have now memories and assets and finances and kids and life in a partnership can be about and all of those things will have a critical impact on the propensity for someone to make a move or to see the benefits in making a move which has to be which ha which has the potential to be catastrophic as we know i don't know if you saw this one this one is like this guy was a monster i believe he was in pennsylvania or maybe in the new york state area. i think it's a new york state area and, and and he was a lawyer and he wasn't he didn't hit the woman or do any like the classical like physical abuse but he was a nag on another level and this woman this poor woman is dying of breast cancer. She's literally in her deathbed, and this guy's just nagging her. Get you got to take the kids to school, and just I, I posted a little bit about it, and she ended up dying. I think she ended up committing suicide. But just the 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 the, the nagging on another level, just like holy shit! Like I couldn't imagine being in a household like that, and the kids are crying, and he's just this just so like again, it's like until you see it, and then that video, it's just so clear cut, like his intention, his body language, just just like an awful like monster of a person, and and just the idea, like your wife's on her deathbed, who just had a cancer operation, and you're nagging her to take the kids to school. But again, and this is what I'm, I'm kind of bridging to, legally in the civil system, maybe even uh, the police system, it's difficult, right? It's difficult in, unless there's like physical evidence and stuff they can take to the crown and they can build the case. It's hard to build a case. And, and from what I see, if just like two people having a conflict, maybe one's more horrible to the other ones, one's suffering more than the other one. That's where they, they, we call it the fog of war, so to speak, right? Maybe let's break down that because it's like 
that is the frustration from what I get from my platform from, you know, mostly women. And I get guys too that talk about, yeah, I've been through this horrible narcissist abuse and, and they're just as like shattered and, and debilitated as the women are. Because again, you know, where our society is, men are supposed to be masculine. What? You can't control your woman. What's wrong with you, right? It's that kind of mindset, unfortunately. But there's where the frustration is. It's like, no one's listening. No one believes me. No one, you know, and besides them getting out of the situation, taking action, maybe let's explore that situation because that, that's what comes up a lot. And like you said, the insidious stuff that's hard people on the outside to understand or help with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, of a man's man, so to speak, and, and think I need to control my women. You are the opposite of what yeah, of a real course. alpha is, yes. right? The protector and the person that's providing and the provider and all these other things. So um, you're doing it wrong if you're seeking alphaism, so to speak, which it seems to be a thing nowadays it, it, where everybody wants to be an alpha, but right. it has no idea what it actually takes to be that. And that's being a good person, a loving mm -hmm. person, a caring person, a compassionate person that cares and protects those they love, not the other way around, not preying on them. So guys are getting it twisted out there and they're, they're live up to self-imposed standards that are skewed, erroneous and extremely destructive. I digress, but there is a, and I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast, but there is a, an, an excellent relationship expert by the name of Matt Hussey that has a, a few millions follow, followers on, on, um, on the YouTube channel. And, and one of the things that he generally says in the, in the courting phase of relationship, if a person has red flags that are truly concerning, pay attention because they will tell you. And when they tell you, believe them. Because yeah. they're telling you the truth. So if the person says, you know, I, I, I tend to be pretty selfish or I have a really bad temper or any of those, any of those things, like I can get pretty out of control. I can, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. If they tell you this in the courting phase of a relationship, red flags, red flags and additional red flags. And so instead of saying, well, you know what? He didn't seem that bad and he seemed like he's got it all together and he's older now and try to justify. Let's, let me put it to you this way. Would you take a risk on a car that maybe has something or maybe doesn't or, or had a historical tracking of problematic issues like mechanical issues would you take that car if you were to pay full price for it and you could pick anybody you know any car you wanted well the answer is no so why are we doing it with people and i'm not suggesting that we all have stuff like not to be confused with having an actual you know life experience where certain things and perhaps even certain trauma or perhaps even you overcame addiction or whatever the case may be you're a completely different human now there mm -hmm. is zero problem with that like that is not what i am referring to no. what i am referring to is somebody that is n knows what their shortcomings are and what they portray during the courting phase of a relationship or in the beginning of a relationship is to tell you and to give you a fair warning essentially that those are some of the things that you may expect from them and that to me is an is a is a is an absolute deal breaker yeah that is where yeah. that is where i i start really focus and honing in on some of those issues so if somebody says i tend to be pretty selfish tell me more yeah tell me more what? about that that's really interesting you know yeah. tell me more about that i'm i'm curious because obviously here are here are my thoughts in relation to intimate relationship and how I like my business to be conducted. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about what you would do in this situation or what, you know, and when you start poking and prodding, it's really difficult for a person 
to 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 maintain very very few people will maintain the humility and and uh, and and be themselves and really dive deep into it and if they do you know they're likely good people but if yeah. they get defensive if they start saying you know things even gaslighting you you know saying yeah. things like well why why are you interrogating me or whatever the case may be and so now you're on to something because every time you put your finger on it it creates a reaction yeah and and it, it and it tells you more to the story so instead of discounting the information that you're hearing in the in the beginning of a relationship or or even uh, in the courting phase or whatever the case may be pay attention and dive into the important stuff i really don't care what kind of car the person likes yeah i really don't care where they want to live those are all things that are nice to discuss mm -hmm. somewhere down the line but what i do care is at the fundamental level are there things that i should be extremely worried about right now or are there signs yeah. that i'm about to embark in a relationship that will turn toxic there's like a they call it a loneliness epidemic Right. And especially men, there's a lot of men that are, you know, lonely and then maybe there's, you know, that's a whole different podcast, a whole different thing. So this, this is a problem. When you're lonely, you can be desperate and desperation attracts predators and losers and creeps. And my opinion, my, my experiences when I was going through bad rebounds and, you know, my head's not right. Oh God, I look at some relationships I got into that absolutely not ones I would get into now. Right. And then so it's important to be in a good place where you're at, right? Be be able to be comfortable with yourself. And then if you're getting a relationship, it's how does that person add on to your life, right? Not just, oh, my God, I'm not going to be, my lonely days are over, right? And I think that gets a lot of people in trouble. And and then we go into, like, say, the, the dating apps and stuff too, right? People spend probably hundreds of hours just making the perfect dating app and saying all the right words that they tweaked over, you know, months and months, right? And, and that's not a real picture of somebody at all. So you know thyself and know who you're getting involved in. Like you said, listen to them. Like, listen carefully, right? Say, oh, oh, I drink a little too much. And sometimes when I drink too much, I snap. But I'm so, mm -hmm. so yeah, they're saying the people are going to tell you, right? And then also, I'm a big believer in this. You want to, you want to, you want to learn about the future. You study the past with someone. Simple as that. Like, Get to know who you're getting involved in and, and what you're getting involved in because it can major have a major impact on your life and your kids, right? But let's say someone's in a relationship, right? And the relationship is toxic. It is bad. It's like... And at the end of the day, it all comes down to what are you prepared to put up with? What do you think you're worth that appears toxic? But I will tell you what, if your relationship feels toxic, if it appears toxic, if your friends have told you that there is toxicity to your relationship, it's probably 10 times worse than what you are thinking. Yeah. And, and, and how you find out is when you leave. Once you left, you will look back and, and, and once you leave and, or reconnected with somebody where the relationship is, is actually healthy, you're going to look back and go, wow, I cannot believe I stood for this for as long as I did. And I'm not here standing here throwing a rock in a glass house. I've been there mm -hmm. where I looked back at a relationship and be like, this was so toxic. I should have been out of there seven years ago. Yeah. You know, no, kind of absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And so. No, sorry, 
Yeah, I was just gonna to answer your mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. If you if you do if you do find yourself in in that type of relationship where you establish a level of toxicity that's absolutely unacceptable, and to be clear, some toxicity is not always unacceptable, depending depending what it is and why. It just needs to be addressed, nonetheless. But it may not be a catastrophic thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas if 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 it's if it's uh, if it relates to violence or or intimate partner violence or insidious types of violence, absolutely that is that is worth finding an alternative way out and so there's a few things that need to happen a you need to have a plan and that plan needs to include stop talking yourself out of doing it mm -hmm. right because oftentimes what will happen is a person will disable their themselves they will say okay if i was to move what could possibly go wrong and then they would start li listing x y and z how am i going to do this and that and this other thing obviously the brain will spotlight that and magnify the risk attached to that which will lead to them talking themselves out of moving out right or going out or reach uh, reaching for help or going to police or speaking to friends or whatever the case may be and so having a, a clear defined line in the sand if this line is crossed i am out of here no questions asked and that might mean a completely a complete physical move that might mean a complete disappearance. That might mean a complete, I'm going to change my phone altogether. My phone number will be completely different. That might mean not contacting certain friends on account of wanting to make sure that your, your location is not compromised. It may be a temporary state of affairs where, because we know that emotions over time will, will subside. And so when it first happens and you make the decision to leave right away, you may obviously infuriate somebody especially if that somebody has a propensity for violence mm -hmm. and that is the very very dangerous timeline but once you've been out for now three months four months five months six months things are likely to get better so that you may you know perhaps re-engage in some of the friends that you had perhaps come back on the radar perhaps with a new relationship whatever the case may be but you need to you need you, you, what what needs to happen is understand that you have the line in the sand you itself for yourself on account of your own self worth has now been crossed. You have made the decision to end things if you can do it safely in the presence of the person that's the perpetrator. By all means, let them know. Listen, this relationship is not you know what I what I envision as a relationship, and I'm no longer wanting to be a part of this. But if you fear you know, retaliation, so to speak, then there may be a ghosting that's necessary to occur. Like I am ghosting out of this relationship on account of self-preservation and on account of making sure that I, that I and the kids are safe or whatever the case may be. That is the flashpoint, right? When the, mm -hmm. the victim stands up to their oppressor and then the oppressor just says, oh, how dare you, right? And he really set them off. Sometimes that leads to, you know, homicide or, mm -hmm. or, a, or a very vicious beating or whatever. Plan ahead and that's the most dangerous kind of the crossroad right so the more planning you can have and kind of a, a strategy because again you have to pre preserve yourself and you and especially if you have kids so if you both of you end up effed up from this abuse and what's going to happen to the children right the children mm -hmm. don't have a chance then crosses over to child abuse man like that would be my line in the sand if there anyone ever touched my kids partner or not i'd 
yeah, I'd probably go pretty nuclear and take pretty drastic action to get the kids out of there. For everyone, it might be a different thing. Maybe it's a spit in the face or a hot cup of coffee or being called a stupid for the hundredth time or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You got to come up with something like, hey, I'm not going to take this abuse verbally, uh, mentally, or you know, financially. And, and it seems like in some of these cases, it's like a, an overlap of all of them because, again, them, some of these people – you know, that's why I use the analogy of a cult leader, right? Cult leaders seem to have all those things going for themselves. Right? The charisma, the the course of control, and then, oh, I'm sorry, it's gonna, it's not going to be like that anymore, right? The, the persuasive skills, right? How do how does one get out of it, right? You got to value yourself, got to feel that this sucks, I'm tired of it what can I do about it? Right. And, and so your background, again, you do a lot of training, you do a lot of martial arts and stuff. And for me, part of my story, you know, again, I was over too high at my worst. And then this toxic relationship I was in, I got to 280 pounds. I felt like utter dog shit. So guess what? You feel like dog shit. You feel like you deserve to be treated like dog shit. When I started losing weight and going back to the gym and eating good and feeling healthy, I stopped wanting someone else to make me feel like crap anymore. So for me, that was my way of, okay, you know, you know, getting out of this scenario, right? Building myself up, right? What would you suggest for people? Like, like you know, again, they're beaten down to a pulp, right? Maybe mm-hmm. how do you build a person like that up? I'll get back to this and keep, keep this in mind. But okay. I just quickly want to address, because you brought something that's very important. And I think if we mm. skim over it, we're going to do a disservice to okay. your listeners, but sure. uh, child abuse. Yes. Right? And so a few things I want to say about this. So without actually getting into necessarily abusing the child themselves, for the child to make, to build their framework of the world mm-hmm. based upon the situation that they are witnessing, i.e. domestic violence between two parents, even to a certain extent, constant fighting, constant bickering, constant back and forth, or or more catastrophically, for them to witness physical violence on a person that they love, which i.e. their mom, their dad, whatever the case may be. I think we need to understand that the brain doesn't fully develop until about 25. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of neuro neuroscience involved in this. There is a lot of psychological, you know, um, vulnerabilities, so to speak. And, and during that time where the kids are building their idea of how they should interact with the world, anything that happens is magnified in terms of emotional response to, and it essentially hard etch etches you know it etches a certain course of action in their minds and so now you you're you're finding yourself surrounded and acting in a way that's truly is going to impact that truly is going to impact the wellness of your kids for the rest of their lives but also the wellness of others because now you're going to be dealing with kids that have bullying issues Mm. with kids that are that I, that, that grow up to be violent with, with, with the people or with their loved ones or whatever the case may be, they will proliferate the behavior or sometimes they will completely separate themselves from that. But there's no way for you to know which, which, which is it's going to be. And so having an understanding that what you perceive as say, Oh, he, he just squeezed my arm in front of the kids or, or we just had a, we just had a, a, you know, a bad fight or whatever the case may be. And for you to downplay that is catastrophic. Like you cannot, you cannot downplay that. You need to absolutely look at that. 
Now, with that, there's there's other things that we need to understand. What can lead to child abuse? So, mm-hmm. for example, f- parents being excessively tired and frustrated and going to work and having kids that are going to give them attitude because this is what kids do. They push the boundaries so that they establish where they can go and how to go about doing certain things. So they're really learning everything by trial and error. And in order for for you as a parent to deal with this, you need to have the the, the capacity to recognize this. And you need to understand that when there is an imbalance in communication, so if there is a, a, a power imbalance between two people, the person that feels is on the lower end of that power imbalance has to do something drastic to be heard. Mm. At least that's their perception. Right. So let's extrapolate this in the concept of, say, uh, something that everybody can relate to, such as terrorism, Yes. for example. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, a, a certain government ent- entity that has the ability to affect change and t- make, make decisions that go against a certain, mm-hmm. a certain way that another group feels or thinks or thinks and now in order if these guys are not valuing these guys and they're not trying to get to the gist or to the bottom of what it is that their issue their issues are and how the 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 gaps can be bridged now you're looking at contending with somebody doing something outrageous and it's exactly the same with kids if they don't feel heard they don't feel valued you can rest assured that they're going to come back with a bang oh yeah. they're going to do something outrageous and now if you're not able to control your emotions it can definitely be a normal person that gets sucked into this it's mm-hmm. not necessarily that the person that gets sucked into this is an abuser so it's critically important to understand that when it comes to child they their brains are developing they are not fully developed mm-hmm. until they're 25 that's why the age of criminal responsibility is 12 and to be honest with you there's a lot of countries where it's 16 and 18 right and i and i personally this is just my personal opinion it should be much higher than 12 yeah. on account of wow, those I didn't factors know it was 12 actually that's interesting mm-hmm. yeah. well in canada it is mm-hmm. so um you know th- that is kind of the 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 piece on the on the on the child abuse portion and now w- one of the argument that we hear all the time with respect with respect to family violence is, well, when I was a kid, you know, I got the strap, right. I got this, I got that. And as a result of that, I'm the, I'm the human being that I am now hmm. capable of keeping a job, of having relationship, those types of things. That is an oversimplification of what happened to our generation. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, getting, getting the strap or getting a, a spanking was the norm and not the exception, mm-hmm. but there were other things that were contributor to our resilience being the way it was and everything. So yeah. you can't just say this one sliver of actions is what made who we are. And so quite to the contrary, there's a lot more kids going around nowadays, walking around with self-confidence that are completely shut yes. on account of having been violated by the parents. Mm-hmm. And so whether you stand on one end of the spectrum or the other one, you can always accomplish the same, such as building their self-confidence, building their ability to negotiate the world and do so without laying a single finger on them. That is a fact. It can be done, mm-hmm. but it takes a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of patience. And so I think, I think you know, if we skimmed over this whole child thing, it would be, it would be of catastrophic oh, consequences. Oh, totally, because the kids are absolutely affected by that, uh, the environment that the parents create. And then, you know, then on top of it, we look outside of the world currently, and there is a lot of teen violence, right? So mm-hmm. my opinion, I feel that there's something going on in the homes that's making kids act out in the public sphere, right? So, 
you know, that's what could be a whole different conversation, but yeah, there's something definitely going on. Right. So it's, it's like a, yeah, it's a, a cause and effect, so to speak. Right. Um, back to the, say building someone up, like, cause again, when you're, someone's beaten down, like when someone is just like, and, and then it's like the, I call it the pit of despair. They're mm-hmm. so in the pit of despair that say even, Oh, go to the gym. Oh, I can't do that. I don't have the energy. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. Right. You know what I mean? Like the thing that they should do for themselves, it's for their brain, because again, the abuse and stuff, it's so contrary, right? If that doesn't take energy, like when you, you go, you go through, like, again, we've all been in in relationships where arguing is, you know, it's not like the person was abusive, but you know, I've, I've definitely dated some women that were very skilled arguers and better than at it than I was. So, you know, it's, it's exhausting. And then someone that's more on the abusive spectrum that, you know, they could rip, they could rip you apart where you're flat as a pancake right so it's like it absolutely does and i think that's something that's not very popular nowadays where everybody is you know accusing everybody of victim shaming and mm-hmm. doing all those things it has nothing to do with victim no. shaming do you want to be right or do you want to be dead yes. is the question i ask yes. right yeah. and so at the end of the day any change coming from somebody getting themselves out of drugs to somebody getting themselves out of a, a volatile home situation starts with that person that is the fastest way to make it happen mm-hmm. whereas if you're if you're waiting for an external intervention it may never happen and it may happen you may lock out but luck isn't a strategy plan is a strategy right so i think there's a few things that are key here self awareness where am i in my relationship and 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 reasonably where's the line in the sand and are we close to it or have we passed it five years ago right yeah and then having an associated plan of action what does that look like maybe it's okay where could i possibly where and with who could i possibly live maybe my sister that lives in calgary and Mm -hmm. you know X, Y, and Z, you know, my husband or boyfriend doesn't know where she lives, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a summer house, maybe it's whatever it looks, whatever it looks like to you, you need to have that predetermined. And you also have to have some key people in your life that you truly trust and, and, and perhaps bounce it off of them, have a conversation. Cause what you will find is that when you have a conversation with the people that know you the best, they'll often will say, I've noticed that something was off. I've noticed that this and that, and they may even shed some light on some of the stuff and some of the symptomology that you have demonstrated over the, over the time, to- over time that you personally didn't realize you were sending into the world, right? So now this becomes an external confirmation of validation that things are definitely not right because it's not just you, other people notice yes, it. Yes. And and more and you don't need other people to no. validate what you are thinking. But if it just so happened to be there, you definitely want to hang on to that because that's a critical piece. And then you have to be able to you have to be able to make the tough decisions. I always say Anything meaningful in life is difficult. Mm-hmm. Anything meaningful is difficult. There is no way around that. Yes. There is no way around that. And that's why that, you know, being comfortable with being uncomfortable is such a common phrase now. Yeah. There has to be a level of discomfort in order to achieve anything meaningful. And so in order for you as you know, as you are proceeding through certain steps. And so if there's a risk of physical harm, if you're convinced that this person 
is going to hurt you on account of what they said, of what they've done, of the behaviors that they've, they've demonstrated. You, now is the time to have your your law enforcement engaged. You know, to go to go in and say this is what's happening. There's a long tracking history of violence here. I'm wanting to get out of this situation. I need some help. I need some resources that can be provided to me so that I may have an action plan. And there is tons of those resources around. And so now you're going to have your law enforcement implication, which is Perhaps it's just, you know, having a file created on account of um, in, in case something goes wrong. Maybe maybe you're looking at a, at a keep the peace mm-hmm. kind of file where the uh, co- uh, police officers will go with you and remove your items from the home. Maybe you're, you, you have some legitimate uh, reasons to be extremely concerned about physical violence and physical harm. And you need to voice that in a way that's extremely clear. So that the onus is actually turned back. So if you go to the police and you're being wishy-washy with the information, some things may be extrapolated out of that. But if you say, I know for a fact that physical violence is going to come on account of X, Y, and Z, and you have something to substantiate this, it's really difficult for any police organization to disregard that. And I think that it's been done before. Mm -hmm. And when it does, it generally backfires and it's extremely sensitive and it's, and it's, at some point you are going it's kind of like the cry wolf situation oh, right yeah. you are going to lose you're going to lose credibility and i mean this in the most respectful way right. it's going to get very dangerous and one day you will make the decision to really leave and now you are necessarily not going to have the support that you need and require on account of the fact that you have created a tracking history that shows a certain pattern behavior now this doesn't mean that that person cannot make a, a, a proper assessment on that one time and mm-hmm. that now they're truly decided to leave. And so it's unfair, obviously, to come mm-hmm. up to any other conclusion, but it's reasonable to do so if there is such a long tracking history. So what I am saying is if you have a long tracking history and you decide to make some some really expedited moves in, in the sense that you want to remove yourself from a situation, you are going to have to contend with explaining why there has been 19 different instances of that. And every single time you sort of backtracked and went back to that person, you need to establish that, listen, I know there's a tracking history here. I know what I know about myself and the things I should have done that I never did. But now I'm at a different place in my life. I've made a conscious decision. I fear for my safety. I want to leave. I want to get better. I have contacts here, there, and everywhere so that so that I may follow up and my psychologist is engaged and whatever the case right, may right. be. Yeah. And really, really uh, establish the fact that the tracking history in this case is irrelevant. You have made a decision to get yourself out of a certain difficult situation and you are now moving on that decision. Now, one thing I will say as well that I, that, that seems to seem to seem to pop up quite often is the person feeling the need to communicate what is going on with them in the context of a relationship with the person that's actually the perpetrator. Mm. And that to me is extremely dangerous. Just, just think of a movie where, the the person finds somebody broke in their house or their ex-husband is in the house or whatever the case may be. And the person says, well, I'm going to call the cops. Yeah. What happens next? Like, you can't do that. Like, don't do that. That's not safe at all. That is not safe. Like, don't, don't advertise yes, what your yes. steps are going to be. Yes. Don't warn yes. what you're about to do, that you're about to go call the police, that if you continue, I'm going to call the police or whatever the case may be, because that 
the potential for the person to go proactive in trying to prevent you from doing what you have stated is extremely elevated now. Right. Right. So you want to play, you want to play that, you want to play that game if you have to, and if you have to act, and if you have to use a ruse to get the person to settle down so that you may make it out of the house in one piece. But without forgetting that you are taking the next step to the roadmap to recovery that you outlined for yourself as soon as you hit the dirt coming out of that house, wow. you know? Yeah, no, that's excellent advice. So just to recap that, so I just fully understand it. And just for the audience too, because that's a very uh, critical piece, right? So let's say, you know, you separated, right? And the perpetrator, ex-husband, boyfriend, girlfriend comes over and they're, you know, they're stirring the, the shit pot. Yelling, I'm going to call the cops, pulling out your phone is actually escalating it, right? So they're, what do you mean you're going to call the cops? And the next, you know, there's a fight over the phone and shove back and forth. And then you slip and hit your head and, you know, something like that. It's, oh, no, everything's cool. Like, calm the person down, then take your steps, right? It's 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 important mm-hmm. to, just like we were talking in their first, very first um, episode we did about public safety, right? You get, you're out, you're out, you're walking down Granville Street and there's some drunk guy all riled up. Maybe don't yell at him. You're going to call the cops if he doesn't stop yelling, right? Because now you, now he, he, it's, you have his attention now. You're, you're, you have, you know, he's tunnel vision on you, right? So it's the same kind of scenario, right? De-escalation, being safe, right? Being safe and getting out of there in one piece. Because again, these situations are so volatile. Like, you know, back in the day, like when I was a bouncer at a pub, I hated when couples would fight. Oh, it was the worst because, you know, the, I remember one situation where these couple are fighting and then the guy starts shaking her. So I grab him and start shaking him. And then he, she grabs me, leave him alone. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's really volatile because it's so much emotion that's being unpacked. And, and then of course in the bar, of course, there's alcohol involved too. Right. So yeah, it's a it's a lot to unpack, and then it can be very explosive and very dangerous. It's like extremely dangerous. So, you know, it's all For this sure. whole series is about keeping you safe and giving you hopefully some tools and ideas of if you're in abusive situation, where are you? Take inventory, right? Mm-hmm. Is it a self esteem issue? that you are allowing people to treat you like garbage, right? And then maybe you get out of this relationship, but you're going to get into another one and another one, and it's going to become a pattern in your life, right? You know, a pattern of abuse, so. It can be. And so one of the things that you mentioned here is, I think we need to touch on, is alcohol and yes. drug abuse during in the context of domestic disputes, domestic mm-hmm. violence. So I don't think I've been on a domestic violence call ever that there there was no no substance, whether alcohol or drugs. One of the things I would say is that if you are on the quote unquote wrong end of a of an intimate partner violence, the last thing you want to do is to feed into it by being intoxicated yourself. And so if there is a way for you, pr- provided that you're you're not being coerced or you're not being forced into consuming alcohols or mm-hmm. alcohol or drug, this is very complex because if the person is truly living a nightmare in an abusive relationship, it just makes sense that they want to, you know, use alcohol and drugs right. to kind of like get a respite from that. And I'm not, there's no judgment here of course, guys, of at all, right? But what's important to understand is that it it has the 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 propensity to make things worse because now 
you're not going to articulate yourself the same way. You're not going to recognize your emotional outburst the same way. You are not going to recognize the other person's state of mind the same way as you would if you yeah. were sober. Yeah. And if you are sober, it's easier to have a, 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 a conversation that de-escalates things. Mm -hmm. It's easier to avoid cert saying certain things that may put fuel on the fire. It's easier to disregard certain things on account of knowing that the other person's intoxicated. Right. And it's easier to find a way to get yourself out of there unharmed. Whereas if both of you are highly intoxicated, it's almost guaranteed to blow up. Oh, almost totally. guaranteed. Absolutely. And so here's another, here's another piece to, to this whole equation. If there is a tracking history of abuse, of alcohol abuse, or whatever the case may be, perhaps, and perhaps the person that you're with only acts up a certain way when they're drinking. Right. Like I have friends, you know, over the years that haven't drank in 30 years now, but every time they did before that, they were in a fight. And they know wow. they can't drink, yeah. right? And so perhaps there's a, a certain possible that the person that you're with becomes a certain way when they're under a, a certain substance. It doesn't make it the substance fault. It's still no. their fault. Yeah. They're taking it and they have to take ownership of that. But what I am saying is perhaps there is a way to, to, to leverage or envision having a life without that substance. And perhaps that person is a completely different person on account of not taking that substance. And so I would, the one thing I would caution against is to justify people's action on account of their, oh, they have a drug addiction or they have an alcohol addiction. True story. Cool. I totally get it. But that's not going to help you no. when you end up hurt or worse. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's really, really important. You need to be quote unquote selfish with your self-preservation, like you need to be a little bit selfish and you're not at all being selfish, but you, it may give you the impression that you are, but you need to accept a certain level of that so that you are able to do the things that are right for you. You're not there to save the world. And if you're in a partner relationship, your job is not to save that person. No, no, it's not, it's not to save that person. Well, when we first started talking, and this is something I was thinking about when you were talking, um, and this kind of like this new, you know, and it's a huge complex subject. Again, you can argue both sides of it. But however, this this decision to allow people to have crystal meth and coke and fentanyl and whatever their favorite party drug is. For some people, it's going to be a justification. Again, you know, it's a complex subject. And, and I'm thinking that maybe some people who may have had a coke or a problem before didn't touch it but now it's like oh you know we can have it it's good these are clean drugs and stuff like that which brings a whole nother level to domestic violence i don't care who you are if you've been doing crystal meth all day and you have to take your kids to daycare or drop them off at school you're going to come across extremely unhinged and 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 you're going to freak out parents and other people like i know there's stigma around it and this and that but but i can't imagine that being also and this is this is a reality in our society right it's not just alcohol it's these very powerful drugs and and i'm sure they're going to have a massive impact on in a family life or or environment right so i can't imagine what it looks like to a child when hey daddy's been smoking crystal all day right geez like i can't even imagine that that's to me would be a nightmare but unfortunately it's a reality and just how, how crazy these people have a potential to act on this you know on this drug right so their environment is is is, is very different now and there's so many kind of it's like a it's like an labyrinth of 
of pitfalls and dangers and stuff. And then families have to coexist with this. Like, holy shit, excuse my language, right? So, you know, here we are, right? And then, and then on top of it, we have, we talked about in the very beginning of this uh, episode, people are more angry now. There's just, they are, they're more angry. So, and, and then, and then if you're on the receiving end of, of that, right, you're a child, you're a partner in that, and you're not an angry person. What you have to do is cut that out of your life like a cancer, because that's what it is, in my opinion. It's cancer. It's not going to do any good. It's going to get worse. It's going to escalate. And it, it makes for a different situation when people aren't rational and then they're using powerful substances that doesn't allow them to make the best choice. I'm pretty sure I'm going to say this. If you took someone and cleaned them up off crystal crack or whatever it was, or alcohol, heavy alcohol, and then they look back at their behavior once they've been clean for a year or two, they're going to be probably, in most cases, going to be appalled at their behavior and, and maybe even be re, uh, remorseful for how the, the, they affected other people. And that's a big thing that I, I, you know, I felt very, I don't know, I had a very overwhelming, like, um, thought about it because I'm saying this decision to allow this without any real accountability or that it's going to have major impact on people that don't want anything to do with that. Because it, at the end of the day, the behavior affects the people around them probably more than themselves, if that makes sense. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. There, there's no question that that's the case. And so the, I think that's one of the that's one of the areas where we have to be very careful. So if you are currently in a relationship or if you're in a relationship with a person has an addiction problem, mm -hmm. like we all want to help and we know this. I have, I have um, a sister that was on the wrong end of addiction for the better part of 30 years. And, mm -hmm. you know, on my mom on her deathbed had me promise that I would do everything I uh -huh. could for my sister. And I'm like, I would do anything I could if she wants to, right. because we all know it's absolutely impossible to help mm -hmm. if they do not initiate. And it's, it's very, unless they're in, you know, forced treatment or whatever the case may be. But even at that, at that point, if there is no buy-in from them, yes. as soon as they have a chance, they're going to be gone again. Right. Yeah. And so, but I think what's important to understand is that compassion, understanding all of those things that are expected in a healthy relationship are not free. Mm -hmm. They come, they come at a price. The person you need, there, there needs to be, there needs to be a mutually beneficial sort of, you know, back and forth here in a relationship, you can't just be given compassion, understanding this, this, this. And what you're getting in return is insidious violence, physical abuse, uh, cycle of violence, mm -hmm. insults, yelling, whatever the case may be, all of those things, that is no longer a, that is, that is diametrically opposed to what a healthy relationship should be like. And at the end of the day, as much as you care and you want to help that person overcome whatever problem they have, if it means destroying yourself in the process mm -hmm. on account of staying there for too long or maybe crossing a line that can never be uncrossed you need to take actions and you need to prioritize you because yes. you're not helping anybody it's kind it's kind of like being in the airplane and the, the the oxygen mask comes down and you're putting you're putting a mask on everybody else at some point you won't be able to help anybody because right. you'll be passed yeah. out like you need to put that that oxygen mask on you first so mm -hmm. that you may help others now there's another thing that we don't often talk about but there is severe psychological and emotional ramifications of being even in an insidious partner violence relationship yeah. and so having you know it could be as as serious as post-traumatic stress disorder it could be as serious as 
you know, um, or, 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 you know, it, it literally has the potential to affect the rest of your life, not only in the context of a relationship, but in context of how you perceive yourself, your self-worth, your self-esteem, how, how, how and what and who you're engaging with. All of those things has, have, have a, uh, the propensity to be affected tremendously by any insidious or overt violence in relationship. And so if there are, if there are actions and steps that are taken, you need to prioritize and execute. You're prioritizing certain steps, which are reducing physical harm, getting yourself out of harm way and stop the bleed, so to speak, right? Well, you are stopping, not figuratively speaking, but you are, you are, you are metaphorically stopping whatever it is that's occurring. Once that happens, all those other pieces, such as injuries as a result of this. And if that's the case, secondary to your sort of extraction from that situation, you are now going to need to look into what is the next step in order to fully complete this cycle of recovery. I may have to seek some professional help. I may have to go work with a psychologist to work on some of the damage that was caused. If physical violence was was implicated, and even if it wasn't, and I have flashbacks, nightmares, whatever the case may be, maybe we need to really, and I have triggers as a result of the situation I was in, and now I can't take certain actions on account of the triggers, because it's, you know, whatever situation I should be dealing mm-hmm. with is triggering me, therefore I shouldn't. And I mean that in the most respectful way is to get yourself out, get yourself sorted, and all the rest of this is secondary. For sure. You can now start addressing things one thing at a time because that's the way you eat an elephant, one bite at a time, yeah. or so I'm so I'm told yeah, anyways. Of course. And for the people listening, I'm gonna say if you're in this, you know, pit of despair like I was talking about, I was, and I'm gonna say to you, if you put the work in one year, two year, it's worth it. Trust me. You'll look in the mirror. You won't recognize that person anymore that was abused and took a bunch of shit from people because a new person in the mirror is not going to take that anymore. And and that and that's a value to yourself. It's truly worth it. So, Seb, I really appreciate this conversation. It was an amazing conversation. I think we've given the audience a lot of food for thought. Let's just recap some of the stuff that you're doing personally, and then uh, we'll say goodbye. And hopefully, we yeah, because again, there's so many directions of this conversation, like the, you know, the child abuse possibility, the recovery, like the steps of building yourself back up, because that's a long road. It's for a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? It's a long road, but I'm just saying, as hard as that road is, it's definitely worth it. When you build yourself in the image of who you want to be, not what the abuser wanted you to be, it's very empowering, mm-hmm. right? Maybe just tell the audience like some of your projects, and you have quite a few things going on, and, and just a recap in case they didn't, hear, they didn't hear the first. Yeah, so right now I'm completing my master's of global counterterrorism. Actually, I finished my second term on Friday. So I'm getting it two weeks off. Thank you. (laughs) I'm getting uh, two weeks off before respooling again for my last and final term. And after that is a major research project. And once the major research project is done around October or November, I should be done with my master's. I'm going to take a year off and go the PhD route is what I have in mind right now, provided that, you know, I'm still around and kicking. Mm -hmm. And if I'm here, I will definitely do that. Um, I have, you know, a bunch of projects on the go. I do, I do a lot of security consultancy overseas in war zones and wow. war torn countries. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of, I do a lot of leadership training. I do a lot of guest speaking appearances. I do a lot of motivational speaking appearances as of late. And those have been very, very interesting and a lot of fun. It's always fun to get into a room and kind of light the room up. I, I really, 
take a lot of pleasure in that and a lot it's very rewarding gratifying and uh and and overall sort of you know running my social media projects and 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 so that's kind of where i'm at right now awesome. uh, as far as uh, as far as everything goes if someone wants to get a hold of you what's the easiest mm -hmm. way yeah, so as I mentioned in my first podcast, my website is still being designed here and it should be ready in the next couple of weeks. It will be Raven Strategic uh, something or other. And, and I'm sure we can update the link and, you know, add the link in on one of the posts mm -hmm. at some point. But for now, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. And that's at my Slav Cobra Commander. So it's S-L-A-V-C-C-M-D-R, which again, I'm sure the link can be put down. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, stay away from my Raven Strategic. Uh, right now, my Instagram page, there's no activity there, guys. And, and I know some of you have reached out on there. Try to reach my personal for now. I, I foresee a time where that Raven Strategic Instagram page will be shut down and will go straight to my website. Okay. And I will attach my personal Instagram, which is my Yeah, I'll my, put the links in for anyone that wants to get a hold of you for a motivational speaker or whatever. Maybe maybe, Anything. maybe, maybe yeah. it's someone just saying, hey, I've been through all this abuse. Maybe you can mm -hmm. you know help me, right? So it, it, sure. again, it would the whole idea of this podcast really was, you know, a lot of people feel alone and they feel that they don't have a voice and no one's listening. And, and it's a very, you know, horrible place to be in. Right. And, and sometimes it's just that little tiny bit of hope, a little crack in the door can open up and then you can start a whole new life of yourself. And like I said to the listeners, if you're being abused, right, it, this is the time to change your life. It's worth it. It's worth it. Absolutely. You're worth it. It's, it's, I'm, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. So I appreciate you coming on with all your experience, your expertise, the, the thought that you put into things. It's, it's really admirable. And I really appreciate it. So I'm hoping we can continue the conversation. And you have a lot of interesting insights and your background and, you know, you're, you have some depth to you. So I appreciate it very much. Thanks, brother. All you're right. absolutely welcome. Awesome. Well, you have a good day. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Take care. You bet, brother. Okay, you too. Right, take care. Huh.